This is your brother James, and this is the God's Will podcast. Thank you for joining us. Um, for those of you who were listening to the Scripture Memory segment, this is the actual uh, episode I'm going to be talking about, and uh, the title of it is "The Key to Understanding Christianity." Um, I have a few things I want to talk about. So there's three things we're going to talk about, and um, I kind of put them not in the order that I originally recorded this. So first thing where you're going to hear about is money, which I think is the most important. Uh, then you're going to hear about discipline and then you're going to hear about uh, mysticism. Uh, so there's three, three parts to this. Um, I did mention in my money segment about something I, I said previously. So I do want to just uh, note that. So that way when you hear it, you know that I am going to talk about it, but not quite yet. So that is just to preface what I'm going to talk about, starting with uh, our first uh, topic of money. Matthew chapter nine, or excuse me, Matthew chapter ten, verse nine. This is this is important. Okay, it says, "Nor okay, it says, uh, yeah, verse nine. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts." I'll read it again. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts. Okay, this is okay. Now I'm going to give you some context. Okay, chapter ten, Jesus is sending out his disciples to go and do miracles. Right, he's giving them the power to go do that. Now he doesn't want them to have money on them, and it's like, well, how are they going to get around? Well, first off, the Lord told you to do it. You trust him, and it's like it's a really deep, like spiritual concept that it's blatantly being disobeyed in churches all the time. Trust that God, if God sent you trust that he will bring you what you need. And the reason, the reason he asked them not to put money in their money belts, the reason he asked them, okay, it was because he didn't want people to think that they were collecting money for doing their acts. Right? So there was a, there's a scripture. I don't know if it's before this, where these guys are taking this girl around and she's like, you know, they're making money off of this girl, right? Because she's uh, has a demon or, you know, probably has some kind of learning disability nowadays. And they're walking around taking her and people are, you know, or, or they're prophesying maybe or something. And people are giving them money because they're prophesying. This is like a, you know, like a, a hand, a palm reader, right? You show up to a palm reader, you give them the money, they, they read your palm. You show up to a gypsy, you know, one of these people, the uh, the psychics. You give them money, they they tell you they tell you a uh, you know a, a, the, your future, whatever. Jesus wants to make a clear distinction between us and that. Again, he does not need your money. He wants you to make a clear distinction between the people who are asking for your money and giving you your their, your future, and the people who are trusting in God, doing it. Because it's it's in the genuineness of their heart, not to ask for money, right? It's 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 the genuineness. They're just doing it because that's what God told them to do, and they're gonna have what they need as they go. So a church that is unreliant or untrustworthy on God is it's more of a, you know, when I see it, I see the untrustworthiness, you know, like like not trusting God and just being like, oh, we need the money, and it's crazy. The church that I went to in Scottsdale. The fake church, right, right. A lot of fake people. They were the ones doing that, and I know they were hurting for money. And it's like it's crazy because they're in like one of the richest places in the in the in the U.S. And it's like, 
how, but it's you're not maybe God didn't send them. Maybe I'm not okay. I, I don't want to go that far, but it's like maybe they just need to trust that God will bring them what they need, not do more than what they need to do. So, um, that that verse blows me away every time. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts. I don't want anyone to think that you are collecting money for giving them my word and my wisdom. Um, here's how you know. So, like, if you're somebody listening to this, you're not a Christian, whatever, you know somebody that isn't a Christian, and they're always skeptical about churches and, and you know, religious activities where they're asking for your money, okay? So money is a key, is like the key, okay? So my title of this was the key to understanding Christianity. Well, my first my first part was the you know the mystic the mystical and magical, right? Understanding what that actually is. Discipline versus maturity, right? Spiritual maturity. And money. Money is like the biggest of them all. Because Jesus himself literally doesn't compare himself to the devil ever never does always talks about how he's above the devil always talks about how the devil's of the earth you know all these things he never compares himself to the devil he compares himself to one thing he says no one can serve both god and money he and basically what he's saying is money will rival god it will because you need it and <clears throat> this is how you know when people's intentions are wrong all right. So my belief is you shouldn't do a, a message on tithing. You know, a lot of churches do this. This is my opinion. I'm not saying you don't go to a church that does it. But my opinion is I don't want to go to a church that has a set amount of time in their service to talk about tithing. If it comes up in the Bible as they're reading it, that's one thing. Right. Like we're in uh, Malachi. And, you know, it brings up the verse about tithing or we're in something, you know, I, I can't remember a New Testament verse about it. But let's say we're reading that book in that chapter or whatever, and it comes up and they address it then. That's totally different than having a set amount of time set aside to ask people for their money. It's one is showing a lack of trust in God. Right. Because you're you're feeling the need to ask people for their money. Right. Um, and. It just it proves that your intention is to get you know is is you're not satisfied with where you are so you're doing something that's not you know God God doesn't there's nowhere in the Bible where I'm 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 not convinced that God's asking people for their money ever right He tells you that if you tithe I will you know bless you. There's a blessing that comes with that. There's that, you know, and I do think that's important to, you know, emphasize. But asking people for their money is not really what God wants. Okay. God doesn't need their money. And the churches that I know that thrive and they have really strong believers are churches that don't emphasize that at all. You know, I, I went to a church where he literally was, he would state, oh, we have a box in the back that you can put the money in. But I've never, ever had to, you know, I, I have people in charge of that, of the money and I've, they've never come to me saying we need more money, you know? So it's like the people who are in charge of the money who are coming to the pastor saying we need more money. He's his, his, you know, in reaction, it's like, 
oh, we need to do, we need to talk about it, right? Every single service, which my opinion shouldn't be done. Okay, so uh, All right, next thing I want to talk about was uh, discipline. Okay, this shouldn't take too long, but essentially, uh, I moved. I moved to Phoenix from my hometown, and um, yeah, I moved out here. And what happened was, is I started going to a church, right? And the church is very, you know, it's a lot of lights, a lot of, it's very showy, right? It's very, um, little superficial, right? Uh, it's in a really nice area of town. You know, it's in Scottsdale. There's a lot of like, you know, uh, fake people, right? And I'm going to this church and, you know, over time I'm getting really involved. I eventually end up in like leadership in terms of like, you know, like young adult leadership and it's uh it's it's you know it's great and i i see myself as this really mature believer right and i think what i was deceived by was my discipline and you know you see this a lot with like athlete i use athletes i feel like that's a bad example but because sometimes you know there are athlete pro athletes that are that are you know very mature people but i always see discipline as a disguise it can disguise maturity as much as you think you're in one place you're really you're really not there and you could just be a really disciplined person like you wake up this in the morning you do you have your rituals you do you do a lot of things and you're just very very disciplined right um and it doesn't mean you're mature you know you, you can even go back to high school and realize how disciplined you know maybe you were an athlete in high school you were super disciplined by you know showing up to practice every day doing all these things it doesn't mean you're mature though you know you might be more disciplined than a lot of adults but your maturity just isn't there yet the discipline can cover up your maturity your immaturity because of all the things you're doing it kind of like masks it because you're just always doing stuff or you're just really really disciplined right and it just kind of like hit me one day i was at this church and i was just like i i don't know why i felt like i was like some advanced christian or something because i was like i am not you know, I, I thought of like a bunch of the, the men that raised me, right? There was like a few men that I that just stuck out, stuck out of my head. And one of them was my dad. He's been at the same church for 20 years, right? And then his his mentor was at the church, his his church for like 48 years, you know? And it's like I had I I was at that church for two years and I I thought I was like something, right? I was nothing. And I think, you know, like whoever's listening to this, I just hope that if you're in a place where you you do feel like you got it all figured out. Just realize, try sticking around at a place for 20 years, and then maybe you can say that. But even if you do get to that point, you're never going to be talking like that or thinking like that because you're 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 at a maturity point where you know that uh, it's just not a thought process anymore, right? If you're thinking that way, you're immature, okay? And and the only reason I'm saying that is because uh, I believe discipline masks immaturity. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just um, just be aware that just because you're disciplined doesn't mean that you're for far, far along. Matthew 14, if you want to turn there, I'm going to summarize it, paraphrase it, uh, verse 1 through 
you know, uh, 10-ish. So uh, King Herod, essentially, um, the first time you read this, you're kind of confused, but it's, you know, like a memory that King Herod has. So he sees Jesus, he hears about him, and he's like, hey, this is, oh, this is the guy I killed. You know, and so he's in this weird world of like, I killed this guy and he's basically reincarnated himself in Jesus, right? So this guy's obviously has some weird form of like thinking, some mystical, uh, magical thinking, right? Uh, that some that that could happen, and you know nowadays our culture, U.S. culture anyway, I, I you know all over the world, I'm sure the New Age culture is this concept of like magic, right? And people even view Christianity as magic. It's it's you know you see. A lot of people focus on prophecy, right? There's a lot of like, there's like this movement on prophecy, which I, I love, pro you know, I think prophecy is great. Uh, the Bible, there's 25% of the Bible is prophecy. So in my opinion, you should be keeping prophecy in its place at 25% of your walk, not 90%. So I think that's probably why people see Christianity as like kind of like a like a super magical thing when it's really not, it's not at all. And, you know, John the Baptist is literally, you know, in that segment, if you read it, he literally states, it is not lawful for you to have her, his brother's wife. So he's being very practical. Like he's being very sound morally and, and practically. And it's even beyond moral standards, right? Like, uh, you know, you cheat on your wife and it's kind of, yeah, it's bad, but it's like, um, it's, it's not something that's unheard of. People do that. Right. But cheating on your wife with your brother's wife is like, you know, next level. Right. That's like, and John's just calling him out on it and he's just letting him know, Hey, you're not supposed to do that, dude. And he wanted to kill him, but he didn't kill him because he counted him as a prophet. Again, he sees him as a prophet. He, he, because I don't know a lot about Harry, but I'm sure there's some kind of he's into some kind of magic or has some kind of like Eastern philosophy thing going. And he's sitting here looking at it and he's like, oh, this guy's a prophet. I shouldn't be I shouldn't kill this guy. You know, so he's already has this like twisted view of what this is. Right. And um, he, he so he doesn't kill him yet. He has this party. Right. And. This woman, the woman he's you know sleeping with, his her daughter's dancing for him, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm into this. Oh, I'll give you whatever you want because you're so good at you know pleasing me right now. Like my, I'm so pleased watching you." And she's just like, "Well, I want John's head on a platter." And you know, I'm memorizing this chapter right now, so it's like I I actually read this so many times that I'm like, maybe you know, like I, I was wondering why would she ask that, but then you know, and it's like, oh, the devil told the mom to tell her, right? Whatever. The mom wants to be with this, this king, right? This guy. And she's basically like, he's not going to do it. You, you tell him to do it. He has no choice because he told, you know, he's in front of all these people. He told you he's going to give you whatever you want. You tell him that he's going to do it. So that way we can just get this out of our, our life. You know, this woman is like all about it, right? So um, he does it. He gets, he, he beheads John, brings it to brings it to her, you know, Jesus finds out and is like kind of, you know, distraught. He goes off to a quiet place, right? So um, he's seeing it one way, but it's really something different. It's like this dude's like trying to help your life 
and you're seeing it as like this magical thing and you even go against your own morals and it, you end up killing this guy, right? So that is, you know, in summation, it's something that it's not, right? Christianity, it appears magical. It's not. It appears mystical. It's not. It's not a new age religion. A lot of these new age people want to like mix it in with Buddha, Buddhism and all this. It's not. It's just not the same. Don't mix it. Shouldn't be mixed. It's its own thing. And uh, <clears throat> your 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 savior is literally alive today within the people who have accepted him through his spirit. Okay. So it's just, yeah, it's a spiritual thing, but a spiritual spirituality isn't this like magical thing. It's you're knowing your purpose and you execute your purpose day to day. And this was your brother James with the God's will podcast.